Do you expect everything to go perfectly first time? Is that a realistic expectation? Or do you believe that entrepreneurs have tried different ideas, different projects, different things to get going, and it's never the first one that really succeeds? How many ideas do you think I tried before I got to one that actually worked? Today's show is all about taking what you've learned and rolling it into the next project. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast, and today I've got with me Chris Bello. Chris Bello, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Alan. It's great to be here. Thank you for coming on the show, and uh, I've loved listening to a few episodes of the Entrepreneur Motivation Podcast, which is your podcast. How long have you been running the podcast? I've been running that for just over three years. I started it back in October 2017, and no one was listening when I first started. (laughs) (laughs) Except I don't for my think mom. my mom even listened to my podcast. <laughs> no, no, my yeah. mom was a fan. She was, but and she still is, which is great. But uh, uh, fortunately, a lot of other people are now as well, too. <laughs> um, and what made you start the podcast? I wanted to document the journey and I got very into the entrepreneurship thing. I know when the bug bites you, you know, when you graduate from just watching Shark Tank to reading books and listening to podcasts and listening to audio books, you kind of go all in and you're obsessed with self-improvement and getting better and oh, now you get a morning routine and all these different things. And so I just wanted to share my journey. And that's been a really great tool for me to just document the journey as well as talk through different things with other people. And if I do a solo episode, it's a learning experience for me as well. So was this about the time when you launched your first business project or did that come before this? Actually, yes, it was It was a similar timeline. So to put things in perspective, I had launched the other business and come up with the idea and filed a patent on a product and an invention in March of 2017, which is when I also quit my corporate job. I figured, okay, I'm kind of tired of the job. Let me focus on this. And of course, like we talked about when you were on my show, a lot of time and money later, you know, five, six months later, I was realizing, hey, this is going to take longer than I thought. Let me start to create something. And that's when the podcast started in October of 2017, where I wasn't quite making things work the way I wanted to, but I was still focused on becoming a better person overall. And and so I really did start documenting the journey of that product, but then it shifted into what I'm doing now, which is real estate, of course. I love that. So let's go back to the product. Well, let's go back to where did the genesis of the idea come from that (laughs) you wanted to go into business yourself? So even before the idea for that specific project, because you don't just wake up and go, I want to start a business, do you? Where did this idea come from? Right. So 2015, 2016, I had finished a rotation program at my oil and gas business. And so I had three years in that program where I kind of had free reign, you know, no one was really my manager, my manager was always at another location. And so it was really freeing in, in terms of being able to do what I wanted to a certain extent. But after that rotation program, I got stuck with a permanent manager who I did not really get along with very well. <laughs> and I didn't like that, right? Entrepreneurs, or at least entrepreneurs in the making don't like to be told what to do very much. And they don't like being babysat. And it was to the point where I would come in, you know, five or 10 minutes late, maybe because I had a one hour commute in traffic. And I would see that she'd say good morning and glance down at the clock and 
like see what time it was. And I was just like, you know, I don't know if this is for me. Sure, I had a good job. I had good benefits, but I wasn't passionate about what I did. And so I started listening to podcasts and I started reading books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, 4-Hour Workweek. Those were some of the first ones. And I was like, wow, this is really good. And I started reading more like Millionaire Fast Lane and just learning how to start businesses. And I listened to, you know, Lean Startup. I think that was another book that I listened to. And of course, we all know of Shark Tank. I had watched my fair share of of Shark Tank episodes. (laughs) And so a friend had a 3D printer and was very good at creating products. And so we met a couple of times and we started just thinking like, hey, what are some inventions that would be interesting to work on and, you know, a problem that we think needs to be solved and We brainstormed through quite a few and I started going over to his house a few times a week, even though he lived in Houston, Texas is pretty big. Houston is huge. I'm talking like 40 minute drive one way to my friend's house on the highway going full speed. (laughs) Like that's how far he was. And I would drive over there, you know, two times a week sometimes. And we'd start to brainstorm ideas and print things out on his printer and see if it worked. And that's kind of when the idea started. I think we came up with the idea December of 2016 and we had made iterations and finalized a design that we were happy with pursuing a patent on by March 2017. So Chris, you've not told us even what the idea was yet. What was the idea? What were you building on this 3D printer at your friend's house? Right. So the website's still sort of alive. I looked at it the other day after our conversation. (laughs) But it's barely, you know, it's hanging there by a thread. If anyone's interested in checking it out, it's called flexthetics.com, F-L-E-X-T-H-E-T-I-C-S.com. And it's basically, it looks like a shaker bottle, like a water bottle type thing, but there are different compartments inside and you can turn the lid in a way that the only compartment that the lid is on is what you can pour out of. So basically you can have up to five different chambers of powders or pills for pre-workout, post-workout shakes your weekly or daily supplement carrier. That's what the idea is. I'm not even sure what to call it really. I guess we called it a supplement organizer because it wasn't really a shaker bottle. So I'm not sure if that makes sense. But if you go to the site, you'll be able to get an idea of what it looks like and how it it functions. Spell that for me again so that people can get it. Yeah. So it's um, Flexthetics. It sounded like athletics and, you know, had a flex (laughs) in there for working out. So F-L-E-X-T-H-E. T-I-C-S dot com. Flexthetics. So have a look at that. That was the product that Chris launched. And just before we dive into what happened with this, I want to go back to Shark's Tank because I think there's something interesting here because I've been talking about entrepreneurship and the way to do things and people's belief that it takes a business plan and then it takes money to make money and all that stuff. What part do you think shows like Dragon's Den have in actually throttling entrepreneurial in spirit instead of inspiring it? I think that that's a great question, first of all, but they kind of just show the high level 60 second, you know, you're watching a company for three minutes and you're thinking, oh, this is what they did. It doesn't seem like it's that hard. You don't see all the blood, sweat and tears, so to say, that went into getting them to where they are. And so I think a lot of people think that it's easier than it is and that it's going to require less work. And kind of like I went into it, you know, oh, let's just put money into it, see how it goes and didn't do the due diligence I should have. And a lot of other people probably have a similar story where they they go all in, they create business cards, a website, a product before they even see if there's a market. And we talked about that again, when you were on my show, that was a mistake that we both made. It sounds like when we first started our businesses or product ideas. 
It was exactly my mistake. I put everything in place before I even knew if there was someone who wanted to buy it. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes. And I think Shark's Tank teaches us to pitch the idea, pitch the stuff and ask for the money to grow the business. And you get the money, then you spend the money. Right. Then you go and get customers. And I think that's the wrong way round. And fundamentally, a lot of these entrepreneurial TV shows teach us the wrong way to do business. They teach us the opposite of what will actually help us to be successful. I totally agree. In hindsight, 2020, of course, as they say. Yes, hindsight is 2020. And I like to think I've got my juice out of that learning and applied (laughs) it to every business I've done afterwards. But let's get some of the juice out of your learning. So you've come up with the idea, you've 3D printed it, you started to like create a website and do some bits. What happened next? Run me through what happened and how it went. Yeah. So this was like a chicken in the egg situation. And of course, it was the first time I had really tried to create something myself. And I worked at a big Fortune 200 or Fortune 300 company. So I learned a lot about processes and I studied supply chain. So I had a degree in supply chain and I worked in it and I had saved this company millions of dollars over the few years that I had worked there. Of course, it's not as hard to do because it's a large company, but here I am thinking I'm a smart college graduate. I work at this great company. I've done so many amazing things for them. I can figure this out on my own. And so maybe, (laughs) you know, I I think we talked about this, a lot of entrepreneurs and and I was very optimistic without necessarily, I did some due diligence, but I didn't want to be stuck by analysis paralysis. And I still operate that way to an extent. I'm a little more cautious and upfront, but I still like to dive into things and kind of figure them out as I go, which can get you into some trouble like my story goes. But it was a chicken and the egg situation where we had 3D printed prototypes. I had validation. Supplement stores locally were ready to order. They're like, oh, this is really cool. They'd call someone from the back of the store and they'd say, hey, check this out. Like, okay, yeah, let's. we're going to talk about this on our team call and maybe we can do a test run and make an order for like 40. And we had multiple supplement stores in town and we went to a fitness event. And so we were giving away 3D models and we were getting really good feedback. Like, yeah, this is cool. We would order this. And of course, like we talked about, I mean, it would have been better to get a pre-order or some kind of like intent <laughs> to purchase instead of just, yeah, instead <laughs> of just like, a, oh, this is cool. We'll keep your free 3D printed model. But that was kind of the validation that we used to start a Kickstarter campaign and then we found, you know, just launching a Kickstarter campaign is like, you know, you got to put in time and effort. You can't just put a page up and hope that it it funds. And, and then eventually we were like, well, we have the money to do this. And it sounds like there's some demand there. And so my friend and I had split it 50-50 and just decided, you know, I had savings from working at this company for a few years and I have low expenses. And so I figured, you know, why not take a chance? And of course you do the entrepreneur math and it seems like, oh, we could be millionaires if we only sell this amount every year. (laughs) You don't think about what happens (laughs) if you're not able to actually get the product to what you're intending to do, which of course we ran into challenges when we went to get the injection molds made. They weren't quite making the products that we intended. And I found that just because you can 3D print it doesn't mean you can necessarily mass manufacture it just as easily because there's different designs and draft lines and all this engineering talk, which of course, like I mentioned, I'm not an engineer, so I wasn't even sure of what I didn't know at the time. I hope that answered your question. I mean, we were trying to get some validation and then we got enough to feel like, let's try this. It seems like it's worth taking a stab at it. But of course, we ran into some snags and then we kind of just ultimately pulled the plug on it for now. I I still think it's a great idea if the molds are salvageable, but I was just 
tired of seeing the money pit in no light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> so let's just, there's something important from what you said that I just want to highlight, which is about Kickstarter. And there is this thing that Kickstarter is this golden bullet of, I'll put up my page, yep. I'll have my video, and I'll put it out to the world, and the millions will come flooding my way. And that's it. That's how to build a business. I also think there's a huge amount of entrepreneurs who've done this, put up a Kickstarter page and founded they weren't funded and then lose heart and end up going nowhere with the project. So just run me through your Kickstarter experience with this product. Yeah. So my friend that I partnered with, his brother's very good at graphic design and he was helping us out with all of the different images and taking professional photos of the 3D model in the, I think the Kickstarter page, it's probably up there somewhere if you can search in the archives. I thought it looked pretty good. And we had, I don't know, it was a product. It wasn't quite like a business, if that makes sense. Like we didn't really start a business. It was more like an invention and a single product. Mm. But I felt like the page looked good, but it was just like, oh, you can buy one or a bundle pack of five or 10. And of course, we launched it just to our own social media audiences and my friends that were helping me with it barely even post on social media to begin with. So really, it was like <laughs> a singular effort from, I hope my 1,200 or 1,300 friends on Facebook care about this and whoever's looking on Kickstarter online. So we didn't really coordinate the launch with any journalists or anything like that. I didn't have any audience of my own to launch to. I, hadn't really, I had just started the podcast really Actually, I think we did the Kickstarter before I even started the podcast. So I had not even my mom listening to the podcast yet. We try to create something and sell it to someone. We didn't have an audience there. Whereas now I focus over the last few years building the audience. And I feel like I've got a passionate fan base that will want to support me whenever I do come up with that next thing. So it's interesting because you put the site out there. I've managed to find it on in Kickstarter. So I will put the link on the show notes if cool. you're listening to this or just go to Kickstarter and search Flexthetics and you can find it. So you put it out there. And the number one thing that I find these Kickstarters fail upon is the size of the promotional effort. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs think that just by having it on the Kickstarter platform, it's going to sell. Right. And actually, it's just like having your own website page. You mm -hmm. still need to drive the traffic. You still need to find the customers. You still need to build trust, connect, and get them to buy. Yeah. And so you said you it just didn't go very far in terms of number of people. Do you ever remember looking at the stats of how many people it reached? I'm not even sure. I mean, I, I just realized that I was quickly, what's the word? Not distressed, but I was deeply saddened to see that very few people really saw this or cared. I mean, sure, our parents tried to support us. I think my friend's mom pledged like $2,000 or something. But and then a few friends, it was cool to see a few friends from college actually like pre-ordered one or backed it. And a few random people did too. But ultimately, it was just very rushed, I guess. And not to mention, when I had quit my job in March, I mean, I figured, you know, I haven't had time to travel very much. So I went to Asia for a month and I was kind of creating content from there and posting. But I think the campaign was running while I was also gone. So I mean, it wasn't very organized. And it was kind of like haphazard. And yeah, we it looks like we got $2,128 pledged of our $85,000 goal. We had 32 backers and funding unsuccessful. But I mean, I'm still happy with the way the page looks and the way the product looks. It's just that it required a lot more marketing than just put it up and hope that it gets traffic, like you said. 
And I think that's the fundamental bit of entrepreneurship is I'd say that about every project I've ever done, Chris. Yeah. Every project, it takes more marketing and sales than I thought it would. It always does. Yeah, it always does. And I think so many entrepreneurs put their time into the product, the service, and getting it perfect. And they think their job is done at that point. Whereas actually, that's when the real hard work starts. That's It's the sales. It's the marketing. It's the getting out there. Yeah. So- you glossed over learning too much from the Kickstarter project and then decided just to do it with your own money. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) That's not meant to sound quite as accusatorial as it did. Um. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's funny because I mean, I, I started listening to, you know, how to launch Kickstarter the right way after the Kickstarter was live, which of course, again, I mean, it was doing things backwards, but you can never really be prepared for everything fully. So I, like I said, mm. I like to jump into things and then figure them out as I go. So as I listen to podcasts, I'm like, whoa, some of these companies pay $20,000 just for their Kickstarter launch. Like what? That's crazy. Or they'll, they'll launch at the big shows. I forget what it's called in Las Vegas, you know, the CES yes. or something like that, right? They'll go there and they'll launch and they'll have a booth and they invest thousands of dollars oftentimes in just the launch of their Kickstarter, which helps them get traffic and all of those things. So, I mean, we still had enough validation. And of course, like, like we talked about, I mean, it's not really real until people pay you for it. But again, we had a pre-order button, but we didn't push it very hard. And we had enough people saying they were interested, which gave us that sense of, you know, we've got the cash. I have no huge obligations right now. No kids, you know, I have, I have a house, but my mortgage payment's low. My car's paid off. Student loans are paid off. Oil and gas pays pretty well. And so I saved up very quickly. So I felt like, you know, this is money I'm willing to lose you know, for a shot to potentially make something happen here. So yeah, I moved forward, even though the science didn't show that I should. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is just the, like, it's great in one way, the self-belief. And it does take that as an entrepreneur. But I guess, how do you balance the self-belief with the realizing the signs of the marketplace? Oh, that's a tough part. Because I mean, I guess I realized that Oh, Kickstarter didn't work. Do people not like this? Well, then again, we were hearing supplement stores ready to place orders and they said, yeah, let's put some in the store. And the cool thing was I went to visit somebody and I saw two weeks later, they still had the model that I gave them on the shelf, like in the front of the store. So they were excited about it. And so I had the self-belief, but I guess a little more due diligence should have been done. The challenging part here was that since it was something new and I really didn't have anyone in my network who had created a product or patented something, I wasn't really sure what the steps were, who I should talk to. And so I didn't know what I didn't know, right? So I still feel like I'm not sure how I would have handled it very much differently. Maybe got an investors or somebody to back me up or you know, someone with more expertise in bringing a product to life. That's probably the route I would have gone. Well, I think it's interesting. So let's just sum this up. In this particular section, yeah. how much of your own money did you put into this project before you mothballed it? Oh, geez. <laughs> we were spending all the money up front because we wanted to make sure we had the logo trademarked and we had a patent in place. And we, we have a patent. That's cool. It was pretty cool to pick up a little paperwork for the US patent. But with that, the attorney fees, the patent fees, manufacturing, investing in the injection molds, which are really expensive. We had four molds coming over from China. And I believe when it was all said and done, my partner and I put in about thirty-five or forty thousand U.S. dollars each. 
Wow. So that's a huge investment. Let's see if we can find some of that value back for you. What did you learn from this? Where's the value for you going forwards? I've definitely learned to, well, first I've heard of OPM, other people's money, right? I mean, I wouldn't want to not treat that the same, but at the same time, it's like to invest all my own money and life savings alone without having you know additional support and maybe investors with experience to get some insight from. That's something that I would have done. I did feel pretty alone in that journey with my friend and I, you know, we're both, I just turned 30 this year. I think he's 31. We're like similar age, but we don't really know that many people or anybody in our network right now with an experience. And so, of course, I know to be cautious with advice from friends or family who also have no idea what we're doing, right? And so I'd say maybe I would have, um, going back, gotten into real estate sooner, honestly, because I'm seeing success. And (laughs) I'm like, man, service-based business, I've learned, well, there's something different with every business. But what I love about service-based business, which is what I do now, you can just get started right away, low investment, you know, get your license or whatever it is that you want to do take a couple classes, get your certification, and you can start hitting the pavement and generating money without having to make such a huge upfront investment. And so honestly, I don't know if I would have tried the product again, if I could go back and do it again. I love the idea, but I realized very quickly that, okay, it's a lot harder, takes a lot more time, a lot more money to bring something to life, especially a physical product, because there's tooling involved, which adds up very quickly. Yes, which there's a whole area of education, expertise, engineering that needs to be learned separately to make that product successful. And that's without even marketing it and selling it. That's just making the product. Yeah. And I'm not, I mean, I'd love to try a product again in the future, but at this point in time, it's like, you know, I've seen the challenges with it and I've seen how much better it feels to be able to generate income where it's a very low or free sometimes lead source, someone in my network or something like that. And I mean, I think we talked about it on my show. I've had a few deals where it's like a $20,000 commission on a single deal from start to finish three or four week turnaround time in, in some cases. See, that's phenomenal. That's a whole different level. And when you're talking about bringing a product to market, running a successful Kickstarter campaign, you are talking many months if not a year's worth of planning to make it go properly. Right. (sighs) What a journey to then launching the podcast and to then the real estate business. So if you were to start again, do you think you would pick a service-based business or would you pick a product-based business? Or do you think you'll make your money doing service-based business and then have a go at another Kickstarter or another product later? Or what are your thoughts if you were to start again? Yeah. So if I were to start again, I, I of course, hindsight's twenty twenty again. I mean, I have a friend who's same age as me. He's been working in oil and gas, still paid as an engineer. I mean, he's probably making mid six figures or low six figures or something like that. Pretty good pay. In, in Texas, it goes a lot further than in some other states that are more expensive, but he's invested in multiple properties. I believe he owns like 30 rental properties now, and he's generating rental income from that monthly. And I'm just kind of kicking myself because I'm like, if I had to do it again, and if I knew what I know now, which of course, we all could have done things better if we could go back in the past, which we can't, but I can always fix that now going forward. He owns 30 rentals and he's about to quote unquote retire from that job. I think he just, he might be retiring right now at 30 years old and he's focusing fully on the real estate business because he's got monthly income coming in. So I can definitely think of that 40,000 I initially spent. I probably would have bought two or three houses while I still had a job, gotten tenants in place, gotten some rental income. 
at this point in time, I could probably have like 10 or 15 rental properties that are making me money and I would have had my license. And so, I mean, I'm building that up now, but I had to pivot when I had drained my savings. I had to figure out, well, how am I going to make money? I don't want to work for someone, but I want to make good money. And so finding (laughs) how to do that was a little tough and took me some time. And I'm finally kind of digging myself out of the hole that I put myself in, but I haven't had to go back really to, there was a one year stint where I worked with another real estate company, but it was very entrepreneurial and small 10 person team. Um, But I've been able to mostly work for myself and not have to take orders from anyone. And so yeah, service-based business. I, I've been loving it. It's very low overhead. I don't have like a real office space. I work out of a WeWork most of the time and I can just travel the car. The car is my mobile office for the most part. <laughs> so real estate is a very sales and marketing focused business. And the feedback from season one of this podcast was that the top subjects people wanted to know about going forwards was sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. What have you learned in building up a real estate business about sales and marketing? What have been the top things, the top lessons that you think have helped you to make progress quickly? So one thing that helps a ton is just putting out constant content, videos, posts, interviews, podcasts, things like that, establish that credibility and that expert status in the minds of your sphere, in your potential clients. And it's been amazing to see When I get awarded, let's say a listing or something, I know that they may be interviewing multiple realtors, but as soon as they see my page and that I post six times a day and do live videos at properties and I'm interviewing people in other markets that are investors or entrepreneurs at a high level, that's a way to differentiate myself from a lot of other people that just do the cookie cutter stuff. So I would say for anyone looking to get into sales or marketing, immediately just start improving your skills, doing live videos, posting videos constantly, a lot of content, because especially in this 2020 COVID environment we're in, a lot of people aren't doing events or anything like that or meeting in person as much. So a lot of people are jumping more onto social media, which means they're watching your message and your content works 24 seven for you while you're asleep. The YouTube video you made, someone out there is probably watching it. And if they're interested in what you have to offer, they will click that button, schedule a time to talk to you, buy your product, whatever it is that you're offering or selling. So how does doing the Entrepreneur Motivation Podcast help you sell property? I don't see the the connect, Chris. Help me see it. Yeah. So, I mean, I <laughs> that's a great question. I don't really see the entire connection yet either. Like I mentioned, when I, <laughs> when I first... It's funny because when I first started it, I just started to try to add value and build an audience. And now I have people who reach out, Chris, that was such a great message. How can I help? And things like that. And so when I have potential clients that are thinking about, you know, maybe someone I went to high school with, I haven't talked to in 11 or 12 years, they see my content, they see my consistency, most importantly. Wow, Chris has been publishing two episodes a week consistently for the last year or two. I, I started doing two a week, but I used to do one a week. I've never missed a show. I've done what I said I was going to do in that consistency, showing up every day, no matter what. Oh, presidential elections, crazy in the US, like riots, COVID, all these things. I'm still here. I'm still publishing. And they know I'm going to do that with their properties. I'm going to market just like that. I'm going to continue to host open houses safely and all of that to get their properties sold. So that's kind of like the correlation is just that the consistency, as well as if they start listening to my content, they feel like they know me and people do business with people they know, like, and trust. 
So I hope that kind of answers the question in terms of me being able to quickly build rapport with someone who listens to my content, where when I get on the first call with them, they feel like they already know me because they've already listened to some podcasts or watched a few videos. Let's just say we have a bunch of people who are inspired by this listening to the podcast. They're like, Chris, great. I'm going to put content out. Like, where do you start with that? Because it sounds great. Content, content, content sounds great. But where do I start? What do I do? That's a great question. I always say when you're not sure what to do, just start. And I'm constantly tweaking what I'm focusing on because I'm like, am I doing random stuff? Like, am I going on the wrong podcast? Like, what do I need to focus on next? And I ask my virtual assistant all the time. So I'm still figuring it out, but I'm getting better and I'm figuring it out faster. And so for those in your audience, I recommend pick something that you love to talk about. Don't try to make money from your podcast in the first year or two. Just plan on adding value and all you need is a mic. And if you want to make the video version too, maybe get a $100 webcam as well and pick a topic that you're passionate about, maybe that you're an expert in or that you want to become an expert in and just start publishing with frequency and stay consistent. So my biggest tip for content production is to stay consistent. If you say you're going to release a podcast or a video every Monday, plan on doing that for at least a year and share it, you know, give it a, give it a fair try. Don't just give up in two months or three months because these things take time. That's interesting. So that's actually an interesting way to be able to just start is by picking a subject and just starting to talk about it. And I guess it doesn't really matter whether it's a a podcast, a YouTube channel, a Facebook live, doesn't really matter, but just picking one and doing it. Is that correct? I believe so. That's how I started. I initially just did the audio and then I heard on another podcast, which of course, if you listen to other podcasts, you're going to learn from other people. I heard on another podcast, hey, you're already taking the time to record the audio. Just turn the camera on and now you've got another channel. You can put it on YouTube. And to take that a step further, you could even do a lot of people use something like StreamYard where you can stream to four different platforms at once and record it so you can stream it live on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and you get a recording to publish it for a later date. So the more channels you can get it on, the better because you're going to get more exposure. But I started with just one. And as I started to take it more seriously and see numbers growing, I started to add more channels. And even now, someone just told me I should start posting onto Twitter too, because there's a great real estate community and I've never used Twitter. I'm like 10 years behind the Twitter you know, the Twitter trend, but I'm like, okay, I'm at a point now I might actually add that too, because there could be customers out there or potential podcast listeners that will turn into future clients that need to hear my message. And that's another platform for me to do that and reach them. So let me just share with you an analogy that I've had for a little while now that I think might be useful for the uh, audience is it's of a GPS, or as we like to call it in England, sat nav. We have satellite navigation. We don't have GPS. Um, But (laughs) Imagine you're in your car and you're sat there. If you're just sat still, what does your GPS do? It won't do anything. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't tell you you're going in the right direction. It doesn't tell you you're going in the wrong direction. It doesn't tell you anything. If you start driving, even if it's in the wrong direction, what does your GPS do? It'll recalculate. It'll recalculate and it'll tell you you're going the wrong way. And it'll give you some feedback and it'll say, make a U-turn, go around the block, turn around and go the other direction. The problem that I think so many people have is they're in park. They're sat there thinking about it rather than taking action. And what I think I love about your advice is 
you've just said, just get talking about something, just make something happen, just talk about it, start a podcast, start a Facebook Live, the simplest possible version that doesn't really cost you anything and do it. That's starting to take action. And you will learn very quickly if you get good feedback, if you enjoy doing it, if it's the right thing to talk about, you will learn that from the reviews, from the people who listen or don't, from yourself, whether you enjoy (laughs) it. And I think that would be my thought that I'd love to add to what you've said is the only way you'll get that feedback as to whether you're heading the right direction or not is to start heading in a direction. I love that. That's so true because you only fail if you quit. Every failure is really just testing a hypothesis. So the faster you fail, the more mistakes you make, the faster you learn and you get to whatever outcome you're trying to get. Same thing goes for, I mean, the podcast, I'm still kind of finding my voice. It's still a little bit broad. I don't know if I could focus on one topic, but I love to talk about everything. And it's introduced me to some amazing people. And going off of the GPS example too, I heard this and I really love this idea. You don't have to know all the little turns you're going to take. You just have to know where you're headed and the GPS is going to help you get there. Like you said, as you go, it'll course correct and let you know, oh, there's an accident here. Do you want to take this detour? You'll say five minutes, that kind of thing. You're going to get those detours and those those tips along the way from mentors, from people you, you learn from, maybe even guests that you interview on future shows or conversations. So just get started, kind of have a plan of where you want to go and you course correct along the way. I love that, Chris. So what's the biggest things you've learned on your entrepreneurial journey that you think people could take and apply to their businesses straight away to make a difference? Absolutely. So one of my favorite books that I've read that I recommend most entrepreneurs read or any entrepreneur should read it is The One Thing by Gary Keller. And I wrote this thing down in my notebook as a reminder. This is a question from the book. What's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easy or unnecessary? So a lot of times we overcomplicate things. We try to do too many things at once. We have five different business ideas. And that's how I was when I first started after the product didn't quite work out. I tried flipping stuff on eBay and Amazon. I tried writing a book and putting it up on Amazon. I was doing 10% towards everything versus going 120% on one or two things. And so get very crystal clear, get very focused. That is my tip for everyone listening because until you do that and until you stick with something long enough, it's going to be very difficult to make it successful because you're not giving it the time and the attention that it needs. I love the question. And that's a question I would love everyone to take. The one caveat to that question is it doesn't mean you have to just like just stick with that one thing forever. It's what's the one thing you can do now and get done quickly, and then you'll move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. I think that question just forces you to bring it home to what's the thing that's going to make the most progress the quickest right now. And I have spoken to so many entrepreneurs that they go, I've got these three projects and they tell you about your three projects. And then by the time they've told you about the three projects, they'll kind of tell you about the three secret (laughs) projects that they're a bit embarrassed to tell you because they know they should probably only have one, not six. Yeah. So let's start there for the audience is what's the one thing that's going to help you make progress so that it makes everything else easier or irrelevant to do. I think that's fantastic. So start there. What's the second thing, Chris? So the second thing would be to find mentors or people who are successful at that thing. So for me, for the real estate example, I quickly started to align myself with 
the people who've been doing this for five or 10 years that are making $700,000 a year in some cases in commissions. And I started learning from them. And instead of modeling the people who started when I started, who are equally confused and learning all the new things, I quickly got aligned with some mentors in a way where I follow their processes and their checklists. And I learned little tips and tricks here and there. And how you meet those people is from, of course, adding value. It's a little more difficult, again, with 2020 and social distancing and stuff. But if you're able to find those people, even online in some cases, and somehow try to get into their network, add value to them, just be a fly on the wall if you can, you're going to start to learn a lot of helpful things that will help you avoid mistakes that you're you're going to otherwise make because you don't even know what you don't know. Whereas a mentor who's been there and done that can point you in the right direction. So first step, get very focused on what it is you want to do. Second step, I'd say find experts and mentors, whether that's a paid mastermind or someone in your sphere who can help make sure that you are not going astray. I love that advice. And I think that's what has really helped me over the years is to shave off years and years and years of time by avoiding the mistakes that other people have made. My business partner, Simon, on the courses likes to tell everyone who come on our courses, uh, you don't have to make the same mistakes we've made. Mm -hmm. You can learn from our mistakes, save years of time, and then go out and make new mistakes. Uh, because mistakes happen, it's going to happen, but you try and avoid the easy mistakes that other people have made before and can teach you where they are. It's almost as if they're pointing out where the landmines are in entrepreneurship. And we've been doing that today. I hope as you're listening to this podcast, you know that Chris has paid the price of thirty-five dollars to $40,000 worth of money to learn a huge amount. And he's been pointing out the landmines for you. He's been helping you. And this is exactly what we're talking about. So thank you for that, Chris. Absolutely, Alan. Thank you for letting me share the story. And what's number three? So number three, I would say get disciplined and keep a routine of some sort because that was another thing that I struggled with. I remember I quit my day job to focus on my product and my entrepreneurial stuff. And the first Monday when I didn't have to go into the office, I didn't know what to do. I made a cup of coffee. I kind of read a book and watched a few <laughs> webinars, you know, like I, sometimes people get stuck thinking that learning is progressing, but of course it's not really moving you forward unless you apply those things that you learn. So take action, get disciplined. I have a morning routine. I wake up at 6 a.m. every weekday and I do a morning routine, meditate, and it gets me started on the right foot. Whereas before I might've wanted to sleep until eight or nine and now I'm not really sure what I'm doing today. I had no plan. I'm very disciplined now. I wake up at the same time. I treat it like a business instead of a hobby because you have to if you want it to be successful. And you don't have to wake up at six. You can wake up anytime you like, but I really recommend having at least a general game plan for what you're going to do that day so you don't get to the end of the day and wonder if you accomplish anything at all because that is not good. I would completely agree. And the best thing to do if you can do this is the night before work out what's the biggest thing you need to get done the next day. Yes. And then start with that and don't stop until it's done. That for me makes the biggest difference in my entrepreneurial life is pick that one large task and then start on it first thing. And then just, I will not quit until that thing is done. Then I know that important rock, that big thing makes it in there. I think the days where 
I feel like I've done a lot, but I haven't actually achieved a lot are the days where I start in my inbox and I have a look at my emails and I have a look at my messages Mm -hmm. and I don't actually do any of the big tasks that I need to do. I feel like I'm making progress because I've dealt with a hundred (laughs) emails. What have I really achieved? Right. And what you need there is clarity. And I mean, I could talk about something real quick if we have the time that I've used to help me with that issue. Tell me. Awesome. So I got this idea. I didn't come up with it. Of course, I got it from another podcast where someone said they use a scorecard to track their daily activities. And so I've created a scorecard for myself based on what I think moves the needle the most in my business, you know, live videos, social media posts, podcast interviews, me on other shows and interviewing people online. And my goal is to get a certain amount of points every day. And so at the end of each day, I'm able to see, did I get the five points that I wanted? And there have been days, you know, if I get an executed or signed contract, that's three points because that is the biggest potential income for me at the moment. Like I said, $20,000 checks, $10,000. I have a $10,000 commission that I'm closing here in about an hour and 10 minutes. And that is one of my priorities <laughs> for sure. I want to go pick that up <laughs> before Let's Christmas. Let's get that over the line. Yeah. Let's get that Christmas cash, right? So with the scorecard, I'm able to actually know what are the things that move the needle and have I done enough today to earn my points? And so if anyone's interested in that, I mean, I encourage them, reach out to me on Instagram. I'm happy to share that idea or the Excel file. And of course, it's going to be different for all of us, but that's helped me to sleep better at night knowing, man, I got 10 points today and I was only aiming for five. Like I'm, I did really well. I had two signed contracts and a Facebook live video, for example. I love that. And uh, I have two questions. The first one's slightly frivolous. Am I on your scorecard, Chris? Am I helping <laughs> you to make points today? So you are. Thank you so much. I, I give myself two points for being on a podcast or for having a podcast or guest on my show. So that's two points. And then, of course, I did a, a live video yesterday. I guess every day you have to earn your points for the day. And my goal is to have 25 per week. So I do enjoy this conversation. I'm not just doing it for the points. I'm just saying uh, (laughs) this helps me connect with people, learn new things and spread my message to help others as well. Learn from the mistakes that I've made. I think that is an utterly genius idea, Chris. And to everyone listening, I think identifying what the top tasks are that will move your business forward, whether it's sending sales emails, whether it's calling people, whether it's doing Facebook lives or podcasts, just as Chris has said, identifying those, assigning a number of points if you do them, and then rewarding yourself for those points. I think that's a brilliant way to stay motivated with the daily disciplines it takes to build a business. Absolutely. The perfect example, I give myself two points for showing houses. So one example, I sh- it sounds easy, like showing houses, sure. But showing houses leads to writing offers, which leads to executed contracts. So there was one day where I had a beautiful, I showed one client a house, I wrote an offer for another that got accepted. And I think the next day it showed because the, sh- the clients that I showed wrote an offer and it got accepted. So what you do today will affect your income in what happens tomorrow or the following week. There's sometimes a little bit of a lag there, but with the scorecard, you're able to know, even if I didn't see any progress today, I did things that are going to result in the outcomes I'm desiring in the future. I love that. Chris, thank you for your energy and your effort. And before we wrap up and deliver the closing message to the audience, like where can people find out more about you? Yeah. So like we talked about, my podcast is the Entrepreneur Motivation Podcast. And that is something that I've been really passionate about. I'm starting to take even more seriously because I'm realizing that 
I'm learning so much just through creating the content. So that's a great way to get connected with me. And then I'm most active on Instagram. My username is chrisbello09. And that's just B as in boy, E-L-L-O. I'm on there every day. I answer almost all of the DMs as fast as I can and I get back to people. So if you can reach out to me on there, that would be awesome. I'd love to connect with people. And I guess, you know, like I said, maybe Twitter soon. I'm, I've got to get on these other platforms because I want to be omnipresent. But my podcast or Instagram are the best places right now. Fantastic. And Chris, what's the closing message or the thing you would like the audience to go away, do or take away from your episode? I love that question, Alan. And again, thank you once again for having me on here. So my closing message for your audience, I know we talked about a lot here, but I keep on harping on it. Get clear on your goals, because if you're not clear, you might do a whole bunch of stuff, which we all do. I do that too. I like to hustle and throw stuff against the wall. But if I don't have a clear goal, if I don't know what my outcome that I'm looking for is, the things that I throw against the wall may not be the best use of my time. So that would be my message is just get get very crystal clear on what it is you truly want. And then from there, you can find the mentors and make sure you create a scorecard that aligns with the steps you need to take and all those other little tips that we talked about today. I love that, Chris. I love that. Thank you for coming on the show. And to everyone listening, thank you for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. We do this podcast to help you to make money and build a business doing something you love. All Chris and I ask is that you go and do it. Good luck. Let us know how you get on. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.